0: Welcome to Mormon Land, a podcast all about the news and culture of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and other Mormon traditions. I'm religion reporter Tamara Kimsley, and joining me is Senior Managing Editor David Noyce, who oversees our faith coverage.
1: Hi, Tamara. Glad to be here.
0: Before we start, a quick ask. If you have not already, we invite you to go immediately to patreon.com forward slash mormonland. That is patreon.com slash mormonland and click on Become a Member. For as little as $3 a month, you can access all of the Tribune's faith coverage, podcast transcripts, and the full Mormon Land newsletter. Again, that's Patreon, patreon.com forward slash mormonland. Now for today's episode. This past weekend, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints held its biannual general conference in Salt Lake City. In five sessions held Saturday and Sunday, Latter-day Saints around the world heard sermons, instructions, and announcements from their top leaders. Of the dozens to take the pulpit, just three were women. Emily Bell Freeman, General President of the Young Women Organization, her first counselor, Tamara Runia, and Amy Wright, first counselor in the Children's Primary General Presidency. This underrepresentation of female speakers isn't new or surprising. In the patriarchal faith, where top leadership is almost entirely male. However, some longtime conference listeners did point out a shift in the nature of the sermons given by Freeman, Runia, and Wright, as well as other recent female speakers. Here to discuss all of this and more is Kimberly Applewhite Teeter. Kimberly is a licensed clinical psychologist in the Salt Lake City area and assistant director of the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir. She was recently featured in the Deseret book publications every needful thing essays of the mind and heart and no division among you creating unity in a diverse church kimberly welcome to the program thank you for having me let's just start with this of the three talks given by women was there one that resonated most with you
2: i love them all personally i thought that they were really just uh bringing it so to speak i kind of forget what the Center we're going for on this, but I'm just going to be authentic. They were bringing it. Um, recently I was reflecting on Sister Wright's talk, um, and saying that I really loved how a lot of the times when we talk about um the parable of the Tim virgins, uh, we talk about the five with the oil who were prepared. And the five without the oil who weren't prepared and it can sound so elitist, right? Like, Oh, you know, I have my oil. You're not invited to the party now go get it from somewhere else. Um, But I feel like sister Wright did a good job of setting the tone to say we prepare because when we hit hard times, it's hard to then uh, prepare for what's ahead. We can't uh, pre-fill what needs to be filled when we make it to the destination of that hard time. Um, and it really, I think, reminds us that uh, who we are and what we do on a daily basis is important for the challenges and trials that we'll later seek. But it also uh, held up the side of compassion to say, um, just because someone isn't prepared to meet a certain challenge, doesn't mean that you leave them alone. You still can share your light um, you can be an example to people, and I and I think especially her talk uh, combined with Elder Brenner's at the right at the beginning of conference really set the tone for saying, "Hey, uh, there's a place for you in the kingdom if you're just doing the best you can, and we can all help each other um, form those uh, celestial relationships that will help us all make it back uh, to Heavenly Father one day." Um, so yeah, I really love Sister Wright's talk, but I like them all.
0: So what did you like about the other two? What stood out to
2: you? I think that um, especially when uh, women speak in conference, they often talk about their families, which is fine. I have a family. I like to hear about my family. We all have families, right? Um, That's the context that we all come from. Um, I Love Sister Runia's talk for uh, thinking about how we address families across the lifespan, especially when it comes to uh, figuring out how to uh, keep people in your family that have different beliefs that are on their different paths. I was telling my husband, man, I wish I heard more about what she was like in high school when she was making uh, questionable choices. You know, I feel like uh, now these people are counted out for general authority leadership because we got social media and it's documenting everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of nice to hear that people had lives and they were figuring things out beforehand because that's the lifespan perspective that we need. Right. As like parents of, you know, I have a parent of a tween, I guess she's 10. It's hard life. Uh, parents of teens—they need some hope out there. Um, so, for one to present yourself as somebody who had challenges and didn't have it all figured out really does something to shatter the perception of who we have uh, as general authorities or what it takes to make it to leadership. Um, I think it's an interesting time right now because we have a few apostles, uh, and you know, I think people in the presidency of the church who had. Uh, I guess, non-traditional backgrounds when it comes to being in the church. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it comes out in the way they speak, but sometimes it doesn't. And so you can still kind of lend yourself to thinking that, gosh, these people are perfect and they always have been, and that's why they're leaders. And so I love perspective from Sister Runia to say, you know what? We are not all there. We are not like birthed perfect. Uh, we can develop talents, but then as she talks about her family, I think she, uh, brought up important points like, you know, how do you appreciate, uh, your family when they come over for Sunday dinner? At this point, she has adult children, but she talked about, you know, putting away like these list of things like they weren't doing or things that they could be better. Um, one of the things that she said was that, um, you know, essentially when we get to heaven, um, what we want is for uh, the people in our family to feel our love because we've created that on earth. And it's interesting that, um, you know, as I was reflecting on uh, president Nelson's talk about thinking celestially and you know how that uh, was received Uh, as a therapist. I will use a similar phrase, especially here in Utah with a lot of my LDS families of teens that are giving them a hard time. And a lot of time they're giving them a hard time because they're making choices that they perceive as not being like gospel aligned or gospel centered. And so I will tell families, well, you know, if you want a forever family, or if you want that celestial kingdom kind of family that starts here, like you don't just get to heaven and, uh, like everything is hunky-dory, you begin the relationships that you want up there down here. And so if you want these people to be in your eternal family, you have to start treating them like that now and showing them that they're loved. And so that was a lot of uh, what Sister Runia talked about as well, that rather than uh, put forth all of the concerns that you have about your children, that you really... I uh, need to communicate that your family is not complete without them um, and that you want to show this love to them and that you have that love to show to them. And like I said, that's a message that is uh, universal across the lifespan um, of family relationships. And so
1: I really appreciated that. What about President Freeman's talk?
2: Uh, President, Freeman, You know, I love what she was. T- I love a story. I love a good story. Um, and I knew that we were in for it when she uh, thanked her trail guide uh, for letting her walk the trail broken. I said, mm, sis, you're in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it was this echo of, uh, you know, I posted on social media that like my just from conference was that like we're all doing the best we can and we can work harder. That's a very like dialectical approach that I take in my therapeutic work. But I just heard a lot of like, you're doing the best you can, and the Lord is going to meet you there. Um, And so I love that she started out this way, because there are so many people, I think, today that are in need of encouragement, or they feel like they don't belong. Or, you know, you present something like uh, walking the covenant path, and it feels like a straight path. And then somebody says something like, I love this person for believing I could walk the trail broken. I feel like this that's where the belonging comes in, you know, ushering us in. And then as she uh defines what it means to walk in a in a covenant relationship, so we're we're used to this phrasing of the covenant path uh from President Nelson and others, but to talk about covenant relationships, I think is so meaningful because relationships are a constant exchange. Um one of my favorite scriptures is um, you know, uh, in Proverbs where it talks about you know trusting in the Lord with all your heart, um, and acknowledging Him and always and that He'll direct your path. And so I always picture that as a winding path, you know, not a straight one. Like if I go like walk in the woods and you know bushwhack it for a little bit, that the Lord will come and He'll blaze a a path for me to walk on to safety. And so when you talk about covenant paths in conjunction with covenant relationships where somebody's like continuing to guide you along a trail. I feel like that provides important context for the hopefulness that people need uh, to move
1: forward. And so right. I loved that. And she specifically said that in, in reference to this common vernacular now within the religion of covenant path, that. It's not a checkbox. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? She talked very much. Uh, it seems about, like you said, relationship and, and it's not where you are on this, whatever this path might be. Uh, but that you're making progress and uh, with help, of course. And
0: just to draw that contrast, because I also got a similar sort of vibe from conference. There was, in fact, that one speaker who said, you're doing better than you think. Uh Right. And I just to contrast that with like the 2000 talk from Julie Beck, right, who is then general president of the Relief Society, the Mothers Who Know talk. That's, you know, sloughed some feathers, uh, Mm -hmm. with it sort of, it kind of was a checklist, right? And so there seems to be almost this, um, decisive and intentional turn away from that sort of approach. Mm -hmm. And and, and
1: also each one, it seems like all of them, virtually all of the women who spoke, I mean, all, there were only three, but, uh, (laughs) they, 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 present on a vulnerable side of them. Like you referred to Kimberly about uh, um, the, the talk about you know, mistakes in high school it would have been nice to know what those mistakes were. Sometimes I had to say, <laughs> but uh, um, it, that could also be help, be very relatable, but also like you talked about being broken and, and that kind of goes to my next question, uh, Kimberly, what did you think of the three women's delivery of the talk? Oh man. There-
2: well, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I got a s- I'm trying to figure out how to say it in a way that won't get me in trouble. I mean, here's what I think. I feel like at church headquarters, they're operating on some kumbaya land that people down here don't know. I feel like, at least this is what I tell myself to sleep at night. I feel like at church headquarters, women are always treated equally. You know, they're equal voices in council. Like, this is just what I think. Um. And with that, you know, people are free to be their authentic selves. So like if the women of the 80s, 90s and two thousand spoke a certain way in conference, maybe that was their authentic self. I mean, I have an authentic self. Can't make me sound sweeter if you tried. I have tried. It just kind of (laughs) comes out like this. You know, (laughs) and so I don't I don't want to like criticize how other women might have gone about their uh, delivery of talks in the past. I feel like, uh, you know, but we all know the the primary voice and the whatever the soothing calm. Maybe we needed that. You know, these are the women's voices that I grew up with. And I saw them as strong leaders because and I I think part of that is because I come from a different cultural frame that is matriarchal. And so I've always uh, listened to women's voices and thought they were strong, regardless of how they sounded. But, you know, now that I have I think I've left that enough we, we love an authentic voice, right? Like we love an Emily Bell Freeman being like, listen, talk, talk, talk. I love Sister Runia's delivery style. I felt like she was somebody I could just go and like kick it with on the street. You know, I, I just relate to more conversational voices at this point. Um, and, and it helps to, uh, I think communicate, uh, like, The function, you know, with tone, like you can kind of hear the caring in a different way, I think, when you speak in certain ways. So, you know, Sister Runia said something like, I don't know, like who needs doubt or whatever. But like, I forgot what she said. I underlined Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, you just read that and you're like, "Okay, uh, it feels like more of the same. But you hear her say it and it's like, oh, you know, this is a really supportive sister, like. Trying to lift me up on the way, uh, so I like that. Do
1: You think their delivery, and, and this is, and others have noted this, especially in recent conferences, uh, uh, without what used to be you labeled the primary kind of sing songy kind of uh, voice, sometimes that that some people refer to in past speeches. Do you think they come across, besides their topic matter, which is deep but more author like with more authority? Do do they?
2: I mean, you would hope. So, uh, but like, I don't know, I think you have to have the, the attitude going in that you're going to respect these women, regardless of how they deliver it. Um, because if you don't, then there's only so much that they're going to be able to say or do to change your mind. I mean, I think even now you, you look at the a lot of what I've seen, and maybe it's the algorithm working, picking up negativity or whatever, but a lot of the reactions I've seen to comments have been around two dudes talking. And you know, they're dudes that I love. We love the prophet. The prophet has the stewardship for the world. We love President Ose. Ose is going to take up the mantle probably soon, <laughs> unless the prophet lives to be 115. And so I get why there's an attention to their words. And then attempt to maybe predict where the tenor of the church is going to go or where it is going. Um, But we need the context of all the speakers speaking, including these women, like you got to put them side by side. And then, you know, that gets us closer to where we as a collective uh, need to be. If we believe in councils, if we believe in equal partnership, in theory, it shouldn't matter how many women speak in theory. And the only reason it matters is because we're used to a patriarchal society where we look at a picture and we say, it's all dudes. So the women must not be as important, but your mind did that. I mean, I'm not saying that other minds aren't doing that collectively, but like your mind is doing that if that's what you believe. And so if I go into conference and I expect to hear a feast from these women, then I'm going to hear a feast from these women, even if they whisper it to me, you know what I'm saying? And so I just hope that the, the the feminist and the whoever you know people that are truly speaking out for gender equity are also doing the work that it takes to value women's voices however they come and not just cherry picking the ones that they think are more powerful because a lot of times you're pulling from patriarchal ideals to do that so anyway
0: So pivoting real quick, what do you think of church leaders getting rid of the women's session? What's the impact been there? Do you think?
2: You know, I can't keep up with the meeting schedule this year. (laughs) We have a general adult session again. Um, You know, sometimes I will tell the story of when I was in the YSA board, and I was in YSA in, in New York City. I remember watching. A conference with a group of, of YSAs and I think it was a women's conference weekend and uh, somebody a woman said you know I feel like uh, women's conference is less legitimate because the prophet doesn't speak at it that's what the format was at the time and it's just so interesting I think it goes back to the point that I was making um, if you if you don't have it in your mind and your heart to respect the words of women, then it really doesn't matter the format uh, that you present. But I, I miss women's conference. I liked the uh, multi-generational aspects that they were starting to bring to it, to, you know, invite the girls over eight or whatever, invite the young women, because I think that uh, we need to see models of leadership. Um, We need to, Uh, understand what it is that we can grow into. Um, I love attending things like women's conference or time out for women or whatever, just because you get to see people in their element. Uh, One women's conference, uh, Rosemary Wixom, and I forget who else was on the panel. They gave a powerful talk about women in the priesthood. And I was like, nobody else is hearing this. This is amazing. This feels like some, you know, 2008 ordained women's dream, you know. And so I do think the less that uh, the church has uh, like um, set aside platforms for women to speak that you don't get as much of that concentration factor that leads to um, some of the interesting stuff, the expounding of doctrine as it pertains to women. But it doesn't mean that it's impossible in other settings. So I watch it with interest in short, um, mm-hmm. to see what the impact will be.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm gonna tax your memory now, Kimberly. Um is, is there a is there a past conference, general conference addressed by a woman or a particular female speaker that has stuck with you?
2: Um I like uh, you just mentioned uh, a
1: panel discussion, but is there a yes. yeah.
2: um I enjoyed you know I feel like I enjoyed Sister Browning's talk on uh, spiritual lenses. Um, mm-hmm. I think it stands out in my mind, of course. Oh, you know, I'm black. She's black. Uh, I remember meeting her once and when she was on one of the general boards and I was like, you want to be a general authority someday? She's like, no, I don't want to speak. <laughs> <laughs> she spoke and it was wonderful. And uh, I, I really like, for whatever reason, Eyesight metaphors uh, as somebody with astigmatism, but I I like the control of like bringing things into focus and um mm-hmm. yeah um other ones I feel like uh I I always remember how I feel or the talks that I'm likely to go back to later. Sister Dalton used to give some good ones uh, when she would talk about the young women's values uh, when she um, uh, introduced or her presidency introduced virtue as a value back in the days of young women values that stood out to me. She talked about hiking. A lot of them talk about hiking because, you know, they're from Utah. And that's the part that kind of filters through the part of my brain that I'm like, I don't get it because I don't <laughs> I don't do these things. But
0: Let's I do back remember to the glasses.
2: Yes, that, I understand that I have glasses, <laughs> um, but I do remember that, you know, Sister Dalton, I think, took, you know, uh, I think her counselors on a hike and they kind of did like a a standard of liberty type thing where they were talking about the importance of virtue and how women could really set an example in their communities um, through the value of virtue. Um, Sister Joy, uh, Joy D. Jones uh, gave some good talks that I remember really loving. It's interesting, though, because you think about, um, you know, President Uchdorf said, stop it one time in conference. Uh, and it was about like the way we treat each other and how we judge. But sometimes I don't think that we remember like, oh, this is the day that President Uchtdorf said that or now everybody's talking about tender mercies. Right. And I don't <laughs> know if anybody remembers the day that Elder Bednar said that, you know, it was some time back and it just gets worked into the vernacular. And I think that's why it's important that we respect women's voices. It, having Emily Bell Freeman in general leadership is going to be a really interesting thing because she's out here with her grace ideas. You know, she's been writing for years. This is somebody that has the potential to have these, uh, catchphrases. I'll be curious if people are talking about like covenant relationships, but we Mm -hmm. do talk about young women's values in, uh, like a, a, like a colloquial way. Those are in the vernacular and women did that too. So I, I am wondering about like, Phraseology, I guess, like if we'll start to see those phrases, or if we've already worked in those phrases from women and just don't realize it. I don't know. Code us all when we talk about church things from now on, and we'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm. Let's see. I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm 34. I'd have to sit down to the map. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
1: like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to join <laughs> that conversation. Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> right? uh, but um. It was interesting i I realized listening to Emily Bell Freeman, that she having a woman talking about the definition of grace was different, a little bit different for me as a lifelong general conference watcher. Mm-hmm. And to that point, how do you think the female church leadership, Shape the concept of woman, of womanhood, for a lot of Saints generally.
2: Oh man, uh, going back to uh, a conversation about uh, you know checklist versus like developing relationships. You know, as a psychologist, I have this book with a bunch of checklists, right? And somebody comes to me, and I look for the check marks to check to diagnose them with something in theory. But I also have this like really felt sense of like if somebody doesn't meet all the check marks, but like they got the flavor of something, then I know what I'm looking at. Uh, When uh, Emily Bell Freeman talks about a covenant relationship, I think that having more women in power reflects maybe I hope reflects a lot of the tendency that we've seen in the church as a whole toward like nuance uh you know for the strength of youth has changed for example to be less check marky and more about like what is the kind of relationship that you want to build and i think for women especially this presents a a unique path for us to move forward and not be like, oh, my skirt's got to be, you know, two inches below my knees or um, that there's all of these checkmarky ways that we interact with authority in order to be perceived as worthy when you're talking about something like Forming relationships. That's what we know how to do, apparently. You know, we can't take away socialization totally, but that's what we were born to do. So when you start talking about relationships and conference, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I know how to talk. I know how to love. I know how to nurture, not in the, you know, the family way, but in like a, you know, I care about you. How are you doing kind of way. And so I, you know, one of the times, Probably one of the reasons why I don't remember, uh, all the talks from a certain, uh, era of women is because one year all of the, the presidency or the presidents were blonde. That was the Joy D. Jones, uh, <laughs> Lay dot, like they were all blonde, and I just looked at the picture and I was like, Really, guys, this is what we're doing here? Because it's hard year after year to not see myself represented. But then, as I got to know these women through their talks, I'm like, Oh, Sister Wixom, I love you, man. You do that talk. Uh, Sister dot, like I said, these are the people, like, ironically, that I value the most because they did so much around. Uh, relationships, they in their way, uh, expounded on the doctrine in pretty powerful ways, they moved us toward this uh, nuanced era, where a woman can be many things. I don't know why I identify as a, a woman, except I just I just feel that way. And so sometimes when I listen to women talk, I don't know how to quantify what resonates and what doesn't. I just know that some things do and some things don't. And so as we as we uh, bring in and not just the presidents, the presidency members, you know, Kristen Yee, you know, we got all kinds of people different. uh, Who's the even the wives of the apostles and all kinds of professions. And positions and church leadership really starting to see diversity there, and then they come out as their authentic selves. I just think they're they're really doing a lot to set an example uh, for for who women can be in the church. I you know I said earlier that I I think I've always thought about this in a different way because I'm I'm used to looking at. The strength of women, and I—I I feel like I've been blessed to have good leaders that also nurture me to be uh, the woman I want to be. So I've never heard things like, "Oh, you know, Kimberly, like get a job to support your family." It's like, "Oh no, Kimberly, like if you got an intellect, you go for the most." And so um, I just think having diversity of experience, even if you don't have diversity of face, has done so much for the women of my generation, especially. And for the women of my daughter's generation, you know, with people like Kristen Neer and Tracy Brown and, and these folks is only going to get better from here. Even the the networks that um, these people have made through their church service, I think, is going to bring in uh, a lot of diverse voices uh, from women. So I'm excited.
1: I, I'm going to wade into the equity question a little bit, though. Um, but we've talked a little bit, OK, about and you've referred to this uh, a little bit. Uh, that it, the numbers game may not matter so much, but under the current constraints of how conference speakers are selected with all the first presidency members, the three, the 12 apostles, when they're all willing and you know able to do it, spe- speaking and ensuring that all the male general authorities get a turn at some point in their service, it seems to leave few openings for women to speak. How could the church change those parameters to get more women at the microphone? Um, uh, it, it you've already said it may not need to be should it 50 50 but should it be 50 50 i mean what what could they do to to change the math
2: yeah i think it's a good point um i i have tried to to sleep at night i told myself that really in conference we're hearing from diverse stewardships and yes there are men a lot of times at the head of the stewardships but like when you hear from 70s for example you know the job of a 70 is to go to a specific area and speak uh, to and for the needs of those people and so when you have a 70 speaking conference yes it is a dude, but that dude is bringing the the perspective of that that area that he represents and that's important um i think it gets tricky we have right now in the church. We only have broad stewardships for women, um, in the sense that it's not, you know, geographic. It's not, you know, it's only by age range we have these large stewardships. Um, you know, at one point, it was suggested that we hear for um, uh, members of the boards, like the general boards, as opposed to just
1: uh, the presidency members, and that would add more. Um, right. And they I, also have these new ca- advisory councils too mm-hmm. around the world. Uh, I mean, it seems like there's opportunities there to do it. But it, it does yeah. seem like, Kimberly, though, they'd have to change the allotment, though. I mean, there's no other way around it.
2: For sure. And I, you know, I had not heard that, you know, they have to speak before they end their. Term because you're right, that's a uh, pretty limiting. And that's <laughs> there are a long so many list, 70s. as you say. We so. have like, se- are there supposed to be seven quorums of 70 someday? Like, Congress will have to be a week, you know?
1: Lord, please, not that. Okay. Well,
2: <laughs> so, but seriously, though, I, you know, I was watching it. I love New Amsterdam, the show. uh mm-hmm. And there is an episode that was talking about, um, The environment. So, you know, New Amsterdam is about a medical director of a hospital in New York City. And so in this particular episode, he was going around the hospital trying to look for ways to uh, reduce the carbon footprint of the hospital. And every way that he tried uh, made somebody upset. So like, I don't know. I I can't think of any examples right now, but the the resolution at the end of the episode was, yeah, that's the point. If we want to make a change, there has to be sacrifice and that sacrifice needs to be accepted. So like if we went to a world where conference was a week because you wanted to give room uh, for diverse voices to speak, I feel like we as a church membership might need to be willing to go there. We want so much change from the top down Um, and we can also think about what are we willing to sacrifice? So like when this general adult meeting showed up, I was like, oh my gosh, another one sent hours. I thought that we got rid of this, but if it gives me the opportunity potentially to hear more women speak, this was literally the conversation I had in my body. Like, let me show up and be here. Like, let me vote with my feet and say, I support this. Um, and then I'm in a I'm literally in the position to receive what change and what revelation might come if I am willing uh, with the power that I have to show up and be there for certain things. So I don't have like really grand solutions for increasing the number of of women in conference, especially because I I still hear Sister Brown in my ear like I don't want to speak. <laughs> um, maybe part of that is because if you know, not everybody wants to be a public speaker, but maybe part of that is because um, people don't feel like their voice or perspective would be valued. And so Mm -hmm. I do think we need uh, more women and more diverse voices uh, speaking in conference so that we gain those cultural frames, we gain that understanding. And we know what we're missing when women don't speak in conference.
0: Is there anything in your practice particular and in as a mother, you said of a of a tween or a soon to be tween um, that you have seen through your own experience and community, what you think the church could do to enhance the involvement of women and girls just generally. We're zooming out now.
2: Mm -hmm. I think uh, one time I was, I feel like we got a really belief in our stewardships as women and work them. So like I've been uh, activities day leader. I don't know what people's attitude is about activity day leader, but I'm kind of an extra individual. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) how much, how much budget do we have? Oh, we have, $100. No, that's not going to work. Let me spend down this budget. I literally like I've been out of primary for so many years, but I'm in a lot of these like primary leader Facebook groups just so I could like tell people the budget is endless. Spend what you need to spend. Do what you need to do. Stop bringing it from your house. Unless, of course, that makes you happy. Like your work is important. Because if we're going to talk about the rising generation or whatever, then the work we do as mothers is important. The work we do as activity day leaders is important. It is not an afterthought. You have to believe that in the work that you do. Um, Either activity day or young women. I really love my young women's experience, especially when it was um, based around the young women's values, because uh, in the knowledge value, it's like interview somebody uh, who has a career. That you want to uh, go into, and so when I was a teenager, I interviewed my town superintendent. <laughs> like I was like a fourteen-year-old girl, and I didn't know any different. Like you got to remember, adolescents got a lot of the uh, you know invincibility or whatever, so they don't know that this stuff is unreasonable. You got to encourage people when they're there. And so when I was in young women's later, I um, I did a career night where. Um, I asked the girls what they wanted to be, and even if it was something crazy, I went out and found somebody who did that thing. Now I had to work my networks to do this relationships hashtag Emily Bell, but I did it, and I that's how I met Sister Browning for the first time because somebody said that they had the aspiration to work for the church, and I'm like, man, have I got the person for you to meet? Um, and so I think we just gotta get serious about our stewardships and forming those relationships. I saw recently on a Facebook page, I think it was inspiring Mormon women. Somebody had posted a word event of a Barbie night, like a, you know, everybody was dressed in pink and they had career night for women. Like we just got to get serious about it on a local level of, of our stewardships because then that primes us to, uh, attuning to what these women are doing. Um, At the top, you know, um, when I'm talking about racial socialization, for example, um, with with everyone, but especially black children or children of color, you got to show them examples of people who are doing things. We got so many examples. We had that daughters in our kingdom. Don't at me. I probably read like. 10 pages of that thing but the 10 pages i read were powerful i'm like these pioneer <laughs> women were out here doing some stuff they were doing radical things you look up if you do a deep dive in the church uh what you call it uh like the church library you get stories of all kinds of women doing all kinds of things These especially pull from the 80s and 90s they were up to some stuff and so we have this in our history and we have this in our legacy. Uh, what's the, what's the other book The uh, at the pulpit. Is at, that at what the it's
1: called? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I read out the pulpit. This it's a real, um, uh, really international perspective of what women are doing in the church. And we got to respect them just like we respect the stories of our apostles and prophets, because that's where we learn things. That's where we gain stories of faith. Those are our, um, modern day. Pioneer, so we got to get serious about that in our stewardships, really meaning what we say uh, when it comes to that.
0: So relationships,
2: that is the theme of the day. Yep,
0: I love it. Kimberly Applewhite Teeter, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much, Tamara. Thanks, everybody. And thanks to Dave Noyce and to our producer, Chris Samuels. We remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to the Salt Lake Tribune's free Mormonland newsletter. Just go to sltrip.com to sign up. And we'll talk again next time on Mormonland.